Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Judges 4, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 23 through 24. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pinched, pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him, from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, then she covered him. He said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is there anyone here that you shall say, No? But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted, so he died. 
And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin the king of Canaan. This is God's word. You may be seated. Dr. Paul Nyquist has been the president of Moody Bible Institute since 2009 and has led the organization with a strong vision of going across the globe, cultures, and generations to equip people with the truth of God's word using new technology in an agile and innovative community. Moody, of course, is well known for its undergraduate school, its uh, theological seminary and distance learning, along with media ministries that include Moody Radio and uh, Moody Publishers. Prior to Moody, uh, Dr. Nyquist was the president and CEO of Avant Ministries from 2001 to 2009. Before Avant, he served as senior pastor at two churches in the Midwest and on the board of directors for Avant Ministries, Philadelphia Biblical University and Cross Global Link. He also taught as an adjunct professor at Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska, and Phoenix Seminary in Scottsdale, Arizona. Dr. Nyquist graduated from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln with a Bachelor of Science degree in Architectural Studies, and he received a THM and PhD in Systematic Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. He is author of There Is No Time, and his next book, which releases in February of 2013, the post-church Christian, is a generational dialogue between him and his son Carson on faith, leadership, and the future of the church. He and his wife Cheryl have been married for 31 years and are the parents of four grown children, three of whom attend Moody Bible Institute. Paul, we're delighted to have you with us. Come and preach God's word. Well, good morning. It is a pleasure, a privilege to be with you at College Church, one of the great churches in America, holding forth the Word of God. It's a privilege, especially on the first Sunday of the new year. Uh, May you have a very blessed 2013. One of the lessons we learn when we're growing up is that there's usually a price to pay when we hesitate to obey. And it's one of the lessons we learn is that if you don't immediately and completely obey, that there is usually consequences. Now, sometimes we know those consequences in advance. For instance, when I was growing up, my mom made me clean my room every week. Now, it wasn't a big room. It was a small room. But, you know, when you're an eight-year-old boy, it seems like it's the size of a gymnasium. And I remember one thing she used to do is make me clean all my toys off from underneath my bed and then sweep the floor underneath my bed. I hated doing that. So I'd procrastinate. I would hesitate. But she didn't care because she had made herself clear. You can't go outside and play until you've cleaned your room. So I'd look out the window at all my other friends playing outside, and I knew I couldn't join them because I hadn't cleaned my room yet. So sometimes we know the consequences in advance. Other times we don't learn about the price that we're going to have to pay until it's too late. 
Again, when I was growing up, there was a cul-de-sac about a block away from our house where I'd play with all the other kids. And it was just within the sound of my mother's voice. And so often in the summer, I could hear her saying, Paul, Paul, time to come in. Now, I wasn't a believer yet. And so my sin nature was fully in control. And there would be times where I'd pretend not to hear my mother's voice. Because what we were doing was way too much fun, playing football, tag, kick the can. I wasn't ready to go in yet. And so I'd pretend not to hear my mother's voice. And then later on, I'd make my way back to our house, and then I'd find out what I'd missed. She was calling me in because the family had made some homemade ice cream. But by the time I got there, it was all gone. One of the lessons we learn when we're growing up is that there's usually a price to pay when we are hesitant to obey. And while we learn that lesson in our family lives, we don't often transfer it over to our spiritual lives. And that means then we have to learn this lesson all over again. And that usually means there's a price to pay. Well, that's what we're going to see in our story this morning here in Judges chapter 4. There are four main characters in this story. Two men, two women. The two men are both military generals, and they are on opposite sides of the battle line. The two women are the bookends to this story. One is godly, and she starts the story. The other is treacherous, and she ends the story. And while it may seem to us that this story is about God's deliverance of the nation of Israel, and while that indeed happens, that's ultimately not what this story is about. No, this story is about a man who hesitates to obey God's voice and then chases the chance to try and escape the consequences of that. And this is the one that we need to identify with in this story because we do the same thing. So we're going to see two different things in this story. First, we're going to see why is it we hesitate to obey? Why does that happen? And then secondly, we're going to see what is the price that we pay when we hesitate to obey? And we're going to see it's a stiff price. And so I hope at the end that you're going to be willing to overcome whatever it is that's causing you to hesitate to obey so you don't forfeit what God might have for you. The story begins in chapter 4, the first three verses, when it says that God delivers the Israelites into the hands of the Canaanites. It says that then the sons of Israel did, did evil after Ehud died, and the Lord sold them in the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor, and the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagayim. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. The story takes place in the northern part of the land, north of the Sea of Galilee. It's in the tribal areas of Zebulun, Asher, and Naphtali. And we see here that God gives them into the hands of the king of the Canaanites, it says, Jabin. Now, the Canaanites were really not a nation, so to speak, at this time. They were just a collection of city-states. But Jabin is mentioned here because he's the king of the most powerful of those city-states. He's the king of Hatzor. Now, if you were to go to Israel today, you would see the ruins of Hatzor. 
It was a massive city, strategically located at the intersection of two major intersections in that part of the land. Uh, If you go back to Joshua chapter 11, you'll see that when Joshua conquered the land, he destroyed the city of Hatzor. But they didn't drive all the Canaanites out. And so as a result, they slowly rebuilt the city. And by the time of Judges chapter 4, it was powerful once again. So Jabin's the king. Sisera is his military commander. And it says here that Sisera enjoyed a powerful technological advantage. It says he had 900 iron chariots. Now, this is just at the turning of the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And the Canaanites apparently had exploited this new technology. They had 900 iron chariots. The Israelites had no iron. They had no chariots. All their soldiers were foot soldiers armed with swords and spears. So as a result, they were no match for these iron chariots. And that's why it says in verse 3 that Israel cried out to God because Sisera had been oppressing them for 20 years. Now, friends, our God is a compassionate God. He's always compassionate. And so consequently, we see here that he moves to deliver the nation of Israel in response to their cries. But this time, instead of just delivering them through one judge, as is true of the rest of the book, he uses two. And the first one we're introduced to is Deborah. We see this in verse 4. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapideth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Here we learn two things about Deborah. First, we see she's a prophetess. And a prophet is someone who would reveal God's voice to the people. Israel at this time was still technically a theocracy. So God was ruling personally over his people. But how did he reveal his voice to the people? Through prophets. And Deborah is one of three prophetesses that we find in the Bible. Then secondly, we also see that she was a judge. It says in verse 4, she was judging Israel at that time. And this is a judge the way we normally think of a judge. She would set up her court there under that palm tree between Ramah and Bethel, and people from all over the country would come to her, and she would settle their disputes. She would judge them. Now, because she is a prophetess, God, is, God chooses to use her to identify and challenge the one who would be the deliverer of the nation here. As a woman, she knows she's not the one to be the military general. But she is the one that God uses to identify the one who would be that military leader. And so we get introduced to Barak in verse 6. It says, Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord God of Israel has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Here we're introduced to Barak. We see he's from Kadesh Naphtali, which means he's from the tribal area of Naphtali, 
which means he was one of the areas that was most oppressed by Jabin. Now, we don't know why he was chosen for this job. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe he had already distinguished himself as a military leader. We don't know. But we do know that God specifically tells him, here's my plan. Here's what I want you to do. First, he says, I want you to get 10,000 men from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Now, why those two tribes? Because they were in the areas that was most oppressed by Jabin. So he says, I want you to take those 10,000 men, and I want you to take them to the top of Mount Tabor. Now, Mount Tabor is not a mountain like we think of a one. It's just a dome-shaped hill, 1,800 feet high, in the northern part of the land, overlooking the northeast corner of the Jezreel Valley. And who patrolled those valleys with his iron chariots? Sisera. So he says, I want you to take 10,000 men, go to the top of Mount Tabor, where he can't reach you, but you're going to be right in the middle of his territory. And if you do that, he says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I will draw out to you Sisera and I will give him into your hands. God says, I will draw him out like a puppet on a string, and I will give him into your hands. Friends, that's a promise. God says, I will do this. It's a promise. Just like we have promises in the New Testament to us, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. And God gives Barak a promise here. He says, you do this and I will give him into your hands. It's a promise. So it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Barak is chosen by God to be the deliverer. God says, here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Barak can get all the honor and glory of being the deliverer of Israel. All he has to do is immediately obey. But he doesn't. He hesitates. It says this in verse 8. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He hesitates. He has a condition. He says, if you go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go with me, then I won't go. And he hesitates, despite having God's clear promise. Now, why does he do that? Why does Barak hesitate? Well, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but we can guess. It's because of those 900 iron chariots. He was afraid, and he says, if I'm going to do battle with them, then I want God with me. And who represents God at this moment? Deborah. So he says, if you go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go with me, then I'm not going. And he hesitates, despite having God's promise. And friends, this is where we do the same thing. We hear God's voice. And in today's age, God speaks to us through his word. This is where he speaks to us. And he calls us to obedience. But we hesitate. And we don't immediately and completely obey. Why not? Why do we hesitate? Well, it could be for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it can be just like Barak. We're afraid. We're fearful. Maybe, maybe you know God wants you to speak to someone about Christ. 
And you know from God's word that we're to be his witnesses to this world. You know from God's word that we're to do the work of evangelists. So you hear his voice and you sense there's someone he wants you to talk to about Christ. But you hesitate. You don't immediately obey because of fear. Or sometimes we can hesitate to obey because of a lack of faith. Maybe, for instance, you know God wants you to give generously to a a particular missionary or to a ministry. And you know from God's Word that everything that we have belongs to Him. You know from God's Word that we're to be cheerful and generous givers to the Lord's work. So you hear His voice, and you sense He wants you to give generously to this missionary, to this ministry. But you hesitate. You don't immediately obey because of a lack of faith. That is, you look at your budget and you realize, if I give that much money away, how how am I going to pay my bills? Or sometimes we hesitate to obey because of wrong priorities. That's maybe you sense that God wants you to bring your aging parents to live with you in your home. And you know from God's Word that we're to honor our mother and father. You know from God's Word to not care for your own makes you worse than an infidel. So you hear his clear voice, and you sense God wants you to bring your aging parents to live with you in your home. But you hesitate. You don't immediately obey because of wrong priorities. Because you know if you bring them to live with you in your house, that your lifestyle is going to have to change. And you're not sure you're ready for that. See, we do the same thing. We hear God's voice, but we hesitate to obey. Now, when we do that, when we hesitate to obey, we do not frustrate God's purposes. God is sovereign. He will accomplish His purposes. He doesn't have to use us. He chooses to use us. And therefore, when we hesitate to obey, we don't frustrate His purposes We simply forfeit the blessing that he intends for us to have. And that's what we're going to see in this story here. Deborah agrees to go with Barak, but she tells him that because he hesitated, that the blessing and honor won't go to him, that it's going to someone else. Look at verse 9. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey you're about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. And then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And friends, this shows this story is not ultimately about the deliverance of Israel. That's going to happen because God is sovereign. So that's not the question. The question is, who's going to get the honor for delivering Israel? And what Deborah says is, God intended that to go to you, Barak. But because you hesitated, it's now going to someone else. It's going to a woman. And she doesn't name the woman there, so we don't know who it is. We suspect it might be Deborah, but we don't know because the story leaves us hanging. So with Deborah now going with him, Barak musters his army. It says this in verse 10. Then Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. So he musters his army. That causes then Sisera to pull together his army. It says in verse 12, Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. 
And so the battle lines are now drawn. Barak is on top of Mount Tabor with his 10,000 troops. Sisera is down in the valley below by the river Kishon with his 900 iron chariots and his army. Both are spying on each other. Both are waiting for the other to make the first move. Now stop there for just a minute. Because right in the middle of this sequence is a very odd verse. Look at verse 11. It says, Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zaanim, which is near Kadesh. You go, what in the world is that about? Why did the writer put that in there? We don't have time to explain all of that, but Heber was one of the descendants of the relatives of Moses, and he decides to separate himself from all his rest of his relatives and move as far north in the land as he can, and we're going to see that God places him here for a very specific purpose. But let's go back to the battle. Okay, Barak is on top of Mount Tabor with his 10,000 troops. Sisera is down in the valley below by the river Kishon with his 900 iron chariots and all his armies. And finally the day comes when Deborah says, Today is the day. Go. Look at verse 14. It says, And Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. And the word arise is go. She says, Go, go, go. This is the day. And so Barak goes. It says at the end of that verse, So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And this had to look ridiculous. Here are all these men running down the hillside right into the teeth of these 900 iron chariots. That'd be like a bunch of infantry attacking a battalion of tanks armed with pea shooters. I mean, this is suicide. But look what happens, verse 15. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, and not even one was left. His army is routed. We're wondering, how could that happen? How? Well, the text doesn't tell us here, but we get a clue if you move to chapter 5 and verse 21 in your Bibles. There in the song of Deborah, Deborah says this, The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. Now, we can't be absolutely sure, but here's apparently what happened. Sisera and all's armies are down in the valley by the river Kishon. At precisely the right moment, God caused this huge downpour to occur, which turned that little river into a raging flood, which swept some of his troops away, but it turned the rest of the soil into this muck, which then caught up all the chariot wheels and rendered them immobile. This then sent all his armies into chaos and confusion, which then made them easy prey for Barak and his army. When Sisera sees that, He realizes there's no hope. So he gets out of his chariot and he begins to run away. And this is where this story changes. It changes here from a battle between two nations to now a fight between two leaders. 
One is running away, and Barak starts chasing him for the honor of killing him. Sisera is running north to go back to King Jabin. And as he does, he turns into an odd place for refuge. Look at verse 17. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hatzor and the house of Haber the Kenite. Ah, now we get the rest of the story. Haber and Jabin are in cahoots with each other. They have a peace treaty. Sisera knows that as he's running away. So he turns into the tent of Jael for refuge. And it says this in verse 18. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master, turn aside, do not be afraid. And so he turned aside, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, and then she covered him. This is really an unusual scene. Here's this mighty military commander hiding out in the tent of this woman. And after she gives him some milk and cookies, she tucks him into bed. And because he is exhausted, he falls fast asleep. Now, at this moment, we don't know how this story is going to turn out. We know this fugitive is running away. We know Barak is chasing him. We're wondering, is he going to escape? Is he going to find him? How's this story going to resolve itself? Not as we would expect. It says this in verse 21. But Jael, Haber's wife, took a tent pig and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted, so he died. In an amazing turn of events, she kills him with a tent peg. We're going, a tent peg? Really? A tent peg? Well, these were the tools to her trade. It was a woman's job to put up and take down the tent as you moved across the countryside. So she knew how to drive a tent peg into the ground with a couple of swift blows of a hammer. And that's what she does here. One big blow, she goes, bam, through his head into the soil below, killing him. About that moment, Barak runs up and he joins the tent, verse 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and says, Come, and I will show you the man that you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So now this scene gets even weirder. Now you have two big military generals in the tent of this woman. One has been chasing the other for the honor of killing him, and the other one is lying dead on the ground with a tent peg in his head. And it's just like Deborah had said. The honor is not going to you, Beric. Because you hesitated, the honor is going to someone else. It's going to a woman. And it goes to this non-Israelite woman who's standing there with a hammer in her hand. And you might say, well, how do we know she got the honor? How do we know she got the blessing? Well, look ahead again to chapter 5 and the Song of Deborah Verse 24, and notice what Deborah says about her. It says there in chapter 5, verse 24, Most blessed of women is Jael, 
the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed is she of women in the tent. He asked for water. She gave him milk and a magnificent bowl. She brought him courage. She reached out her hand for the tent peg and her right hand for the workman's hammer. And she struck Sisera. She smashed his head and she shattered and pierced his temple. She says, most blessed of women is Jael. And it's just like Deborah had said. The honor is not going to go to you, Barak. The honor and blessing is going to someone else. It's going to a woman. Here's what all this means for us today. When you hesitate to immediately obey God's voice when you hear it, you forfeit the blessing God intends for you to have. When you immediately, when you, when you, When you don't immediately obey God's voice, when you hear it, you forfeit the blessing God intends for you to have. God speaks to us in his word, and he does so because he has our best interests in mind. He intends to bless us through our obedience. But when we hesitate to obey, we forfeit that blessing that he intends for us to have. So when you hesitate to talk to that person about Christ because you're afraid, God uses someone else to bring them to faith. Someone else shares the gospel with them, and they come to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. When that happens, who gets the joy? Who gets the blessing? Who gets the reward in eternity for being a soul winner? It's not the one who hesitated to obey. It's the one who obeyed. The one who hesitated to obey forfeited the blessing God intended them to have. Or when you don't give generously to that missionary because of a lack of faith, God will provide through someone else. Someone else will provide the resources that missionary needs. And then when that missionary's work begins to explode and people start coming to Christ all over that unreached people group, Who gets the joy? Who gets the blessing? Who gets the reward in eternity for investing in that ministry? Not the one who hesitated to obey. It's the one who obeyed. The one who hesitated to obey forfeited the blessing that God intended them to have. Or when you hesitate to bring your aging parents to live with you in your home because of wrong priorities, God will provide through them through someone else. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe she brings them to live with her in her house, and it does change her lifestyle. But she finds it such a blessing to be with them at this intimate moment in their life. And she'll never forget the words that your mother said to her just before she died. She said, thank you. Thank you for being so kind to us. When that happens, who gets the joy? Who gets the blessing? It's not the one who hesitated to obey. It's the one who obeyed. The one who hesitated to obey forfeited the blessing God intended them to have. In every case, there was a blessing that God had for you. But you missed it because you hesitated to obey. Friends, don't miss out. Don't miss out on what God would have for you. Don't forfeit the blessing that he intends you to have. 
and said, heed his voice. Heed his voice as soon as you hear it. And thereby, enjoy all that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the many, many times when we're just like Barak. And we hear your voice, we hear your promises, we know your word, and we know what you want us to do, and yet we don't do it, we hesitate, we don't immediately obey for a variety of reasons, all wrong. And we don't realize what we're missing. And we're missing the blessing that you had for us that was going to just bless our lives, and we missed it. Father, I pray for each of us here as daily, through reading your word or talking to your people, we, we hear your voice. And help us to overcome whatever it is that is causing us to hesitate to obey so we may not only please you, but also enjoy all that you have for us as your dear children. In Jesus' name, amen.